I call this series End Games. And as I said to you last week, the dictionary defines end game as the late or final stages of any activity. We said last week that the hour is late, the final stages of human history are upon us, and we cannot afford to go into these days without a plan, without a strategy. We need to go in prepared. We need to go in with our eyes wide open. We need to go into these days knowing that we are equipped for the days that we are entering into. If there is one thing that the Bible makes very clear about the end times is that when they finally begin to ramp up, they're going to come upon us so quickly, so suddenly, that you're not going to have any time to prepare. You're either going to be prepared or you are not going to be prepared. There will not be enough time to cram it all together. You have got to be ready when these days come because they are coming suddenly. But thankfully, as we said last week, we have the Word of God that serves as the absolute standard of truth in every generation. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, empowering us to hold fast to that truth to the very end for the glory of God. Let me just very quickly share something with you. It comes out of John chapter 16. And many of you know the context of this. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples celebrating the Passover feast. Right on the night that he is betrayed, he's going to be crucified the next day. And so he's sitting there and he's communicating that he is departing from them, but that he's not going to leave them as orphans, that he's going to send another helper to them. And listen to what he says in John 16 and verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. You know, as I was reading that the other day, the thought that occurred to me is that the message of the end times, the message of the second coming of Christ and all of the events leading up to that is a very heavy message. It is very hard to deal with. In fact, Jesus said, I'd like to share more about it, but the reality is you can't bear it right now. But I'm going to send the Holy Spirit And he's going to tell you these things that are going to come, but he's also going to give you the power so that it doesn't crush you. And I believe that there are men and women who are afraid about end-time theology because they are trying to understand it in their natural mind. Folks, this is why we need the Holy Spirit. Because not only will, will he help us understand the last days, but he'll give us the strength to bear under it in Jesus' mighty name. How many of you are thankful for that, for the glory and the honor of God? He is the spirit of truth that dwells within us and guides us into all truth, including the truth that is revealed in Scripture concerning that which is going to come to pass. We may not have all the details. We may not ever figure out all of the details. But there is enough that is clearly presented in the Word of God so that that day does not come upon us unexpectedly. We can prepare ourselves. We can prepare our minds. We can prepare our hearts for these days so that we are not swept away for the glory and for the honor of God. Now last week was just a simple introduction I just wanted to lay out the context of this particular chapter. 
And what we had said is that Jesus had spent his whole Wednesday in the temple in Jerusalem contending with the religious leaders. Remember, this is his week of passion. He is living in Bethany, but he is moving through Jerusalem. And it is on Friday again that he will be crucified. He has spent the whole day Wednesday in the temple contending with the religious leaders. He leaves. He will never come back to the temple again. And as he and the disciples are making their way back to Bethany, they come to this place where they can clearly see not only the temple, but the entire temple complex and the buildings and these massive stones that were holding it up. And the disciples begin to comment on the beauty and the splendor and the wonder of this temple and all that is upon it. And immediately Jesus says to them something that just shocks them. He says to them in Matthew 24 and verse 2, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone, and these stones were not small, they were roughly 50 to 100 tons in weight. These were massive stones. He said, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. He prophesied that the destruction of the temple would be so complete, not one stone would be left upon another. That was fulfilled about 40 years later when Rome sacked Jerusalem and literally dismantled the temple one stone at a time. It was a tragedy. It was judgment from Almighty God. And as the disciples are hearing this, they are thinking to themselves, how could this happen and why would God allow it to happen? But what Jesus was telling them in no uncertain terms is that no religion, no religious system, no religious leader, that no religious artifact is going to save you from what is coming. Only intimacy with me can save you from the coming storm. That is what Jesus was saying to them. And folks, that is really the thrust of end time teaching and preaching. It is that we are lost without Jesus Christ. That literally the end of all things is coming. And that the only thing that will make it is that which is built upon Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Can you say amen? That is really what prophecy is all about. It is showing us that all things that can be shaken will be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken remains and that which cannot be shaken is the kingdom of God and those who have built their lives upon the principles of the kingdom of Almighty God. That when all else fails, Jesus alone will not fail. He will be standing for the glory and for the honor of His great name. Folks, we have got to understand that. That is what prophecy is about. It is recognizing that Jesus is our only hope. I'm reminded of what the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 6 where he said that we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Folks, I want you to hear me today. We have an anchor for our soul in Jesus Christ. He is in heaven. And an anchor does not keep storms from coming, but an anchor keeps you in the storm. And I want you to know Jesus will not keep storms from coming to your life, but Jesus will be the anchor that holds you together 
together until the storm is over in Jesus' mighty name. Never let go of Christ. Can you say amen to that? I love Revelation 1 and verse 1. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, we call the book of Revelation the book of Revelation. Actually, the title is The Revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. Isn't it amazing that throughout the whole book, we spend time looking at the things which which must shortly take place when we should be looking at what these things reveal. They reveal Jesus Christ. It is all about the unveiling of Christ. I love in Revelation 19 and verse 10, it says, this is John speaking, and I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Listen to this. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Did you hear that? The the testimony of Jesus is the spirit or is the essence is the purpose of prophecy. Prophecy was not meant to just tingle your senses. It was meant to reveal the testimony of Jesus Christ and who He is. Prophecy is not about the Antichrist. It's not about the beast. It's not about the mark of the beast. It's not about 666 and Armageddon and Gog and Magog. It's not about one world governments and one world currencies. Prophecy is about the one named Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundations of the earth. It is about the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come, the one who's alive, that was dead, but is alive forevermore, and has been given a name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that He is a King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is why we study prophecy. Not to get all the details, but to to remember there is only one who is worthy of our praise and his name is Jesus Christ. Can you give him all the praise this morning if you believe that in Jesus mighty name. Hallelujah. You ask me how we are to live in these days. We're to live as those who praise and worship the one who will never end. The one whose kingdom will never die. Jesus Christ. You say, well, wait a minute. What about North Korea and Russia and Syria and China and ISIS? I don't know about them, but I know that Jesus is worthy of my praise today. I don't know how it's all going to shake out, folks. But I do know that when it's all said and done and the smoke clears, Jesus is going to be standing forever and forever. He's worthy of my praise, and that's why we magnify His name. Come on, give Him praise in this house. Bless the Lord. Now, with all that, verse 3, He says, as He sat on the Mount of Olives, that the disciples came to Him privately, and they said, tell us, when, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, They were curious, and we understand that. If somebody told us that there was going to be a dismantling of the Capitol in Washington, D.C., we would probably say, when will these things be? I mean, so we can understand. They wanted to know when these things would occur, what the sign of his coming would be, and the end of the age. And what Jesus would do at that point is he would begin to lay out for them a series of events that would all be indicators 
of the nearness of his coming. What I want to do in the balance of our time is I just want to run through these six signs with you very quickly that Jesus gave to them as indicators that we are living in those days long prophesied. But I want you to hear them all with this understanding. Verse 8 says that these things are the beginning of sorrows. They're the beginning of sorrows. The word sorrows there is actually speaking of a uh, mother who is experiencing birth pains. In fact, it might even say in the King James Version that these are the beginning of birth pains. It's talking about a mother who is in labor. So he's likening these signs to a mother who is in labor and is close to her delivery day. And it's important for you to understand that because what Jesus is saying here is not that any one of these scenes, of these signs mean that Jesus is like his coming is right now. It's tomorrow. Not one of them. He's saying all of these things have always been with you, but just as it is with labor, where the pain that a mother is experiencing in birth becomes more frequent and more intense, all of these things are going to continually become more frequent and more intense in nature. So I don't want you to look at these signs and say, well, look, we just saw of an earthquake last week. That means Jesus is coming tomorrow. No, that's not what he's saying here. He's just saying you can fully expect that the closer you get to the coming of the Lord, the more that these signs are going to increase, not only in frequency, but intensity. They're going to become even that much more frequent, that much more intense as you draw closer to the coming of the Lord. So what are these signs? Number one, just write these down with me quickly. Number one, deception. Deception. In Matthew 24, verse number four, Jesus said, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Jesus makes it very clear that the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the more we are going to see an increase in frequency and intensity of deception. The deception in the last days will become more frequent and much more intense. Jesus made it very clear that deception would escalate in the days leading up to his coming. And that the last days would actually set the stage for the greatest deception that mankind has ever known. And the reason that this deception is going to become more intense than at any other time in human history is because of what Jesus said in verse 24. Listen to this. Jesus said, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. They'll not just be speaking words. There'll be a satanic empowerment upon their lives to perform great signs and wonders that are so deceptive that if it were possible, even the elect would actually be deceived. These deceivers in the last days are not just going to say, I am the Christ, listen to me, because most of us could see right through that. No, their words are going to be backed up by satanic signs and wonders that are going to be so unbelievable 
that they're going to deceive many men and women. The only ones who will not be deceived are the elect. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be the elect. (laughs) I want to make sure that I am not deceived by lying signs and wonders. So who are the elect? Well, to answer that question, I want to just very quickly look at what Paul said about this very same scenario in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 9. He says, the coming of the lawless one, and we're going to talk about him next week, is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. And why did they perish? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. The elect are those who have received a love for the truth and have been genuinely born again by Jesus Christ. These are not men and women who just simply heard a message and made an emotional decision to follow Jesus. These are men and women who upon hearing the word of God received it as truth and loved the truth and meditated upon the truth and hid the truth in their heart that they would not sin against God. They loved to study the Word of God. They loved to meditate upon the Word of God. And having that love for truth, they were saved by the power of Christ living and dwelling within them. And because these men and women have such a great love for truth, they do not spend their time watching what men and women do They spend their time watching and listening to what they say. Folks, if you are not going to be deceived in this hour, you can't spend time watching what people do. You've got to be listening to what they say. Because if there's one thing we know the devil can't do, he cannot tell the truth. He is a liar. From the beginning is a liar. He is a father of lies. And he does not know the truth. He knows how to twist the truth. But if you know the truth, it will set you free from that deception. In Jesus' name, take heed. Listen to me, folks. If you are deceived in the last days, it's because you chose to be deceived. Because you chose not to love the truth that sets you free. Deception. Number two, division. Division. Look at verse number six. He says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Jesus says the closer that we get to his coming, the more we are going to see an increase of division among the nations and among the kingdoms. It's going to become more frequent and it is going to become more intense. And if you have lived on this planet for any length of time, you have seen in your lifetime the divisions among nations and kingdoms become more frequent and more intense than ever before. Isn't it amazing that with all of our technology, with all of our education, with all of our centers of higher learning, with all the politicians, with all the uh, diplomats we have today, with all of the uh, treaties that we enter into, we've never mastered the art of peace in the world. But the Bible makes it very clear that there will never be peace in this world until the Prince of Peace comes to this earth and establishes his kingdom in Jesus' name. Do you know in the 20th 20th century, 123 million men and women were killed in conflict-related death? And some estimate that there were well over 200 million 
men and women who were murdered in various forms of genocide and cleansing. It makes you wonder what will the 21st century hold if Jesus tarries. North Korea, just on Tuesday, tested its first ICBM, which means that at least in theory, they now have the capability of delivering a nuclear missile to Alaska and certainly one day soon to the entire West Coast. Tensions are mounting in the Middle East even as we speak. And yet the Bible told us that this was going to happen and it was only going to increase in frequency and intensity. Remember John on the Isle of Patmos has a vision that was given to him by the Lord. And in Revelation 6 and verse 4, he says, I saw another horse. It was fiery red. It went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another. And a great sword was given to him. Folks, this is going to happen, and it's going to get worse the closer we get to the coming of the Lord. Number three, disaster, disaster. Look at verse 7 again. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Amazing words. These are just the beginning of sorrows. You haven't seen anything yet. As bad as it is right now, buckle up. It's only going to get worse. Jesus said, the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, there is going to be an increase of disaster in frequency and intensity. Do you know that over 20 million people right now are at the risk of starving to death? Danny already told us about the drinking crisis. You know, Thursday, you all heard of the 5.8 magnitude earthquake that rocked Montana. I was reading the other day that in the last eight years, Oklahoma has ha- had seen a 4,000% increase of seismic activity. And yet with all the breakthroughs in the medical field, disease and pestilence still dominate the world. You know, we just take it for granted, but disease is rampant. In fact, many of the diseases that we thought we conquered decades ago are now mutating, and literally we don't have any answer for them. I read an article just last night, and I'm kind of hesitating on whether I should say this or not, but there is now a new new strain of gonorrhea that is untreatable, that is spreading throughout the globe. Folks, right now, 37 million people globally have HIV. We just don't think about it. But Jesus said these things are not only going to happen, but the closer you get to the coming of the Lord, the more frequent they're going to happen and the more intense it is going to take place. Number four, defamation. Defamation. Verse nine. This hits close to home. Jesus said, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations For my name's sake. The closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the more intense and the more frequent persecution is going to be toward Christians. If you have decided to follow Jesus Christ, you also need to decide that the day is probably coming in this country when you are going to suffer persecution one form or another. 215 million Christians are experiencing severe persecution for their faith in Christ right now. Right now. 
Nigeria alone experienced a 62% increase of persecution against Christianity last year. Increasingly, we are seeing utter contempt for Christianity right here in the good old USA. Despite the constitutional warning that states, no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States, Bernie Sanders, many of you remember this, during the confirmation hearing of Russell Vought just a few weeks ago, stated, I would simply say, Mr. Chairman, that this nominee is not really someone who is what this country is supposed to be about. I vote no. And his vote no was not because Mr. Vout was not qualified or was somehow incompetent to do that work. He could do it easily. His vote no was because Vout had wrote in a periodical that the only way to be saved was through the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Folks, it's coming. It's only a matter of time. We need to be ready for that. Number five, defection. Defection. In verse number 10, it says, And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Jesus makes it very clear that the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, there is going to be a dramatic increase in frequency and intensity of a defection from the faith of Jesus Christ. Now, even in Paul's day, men and women were defecting from the genuine faith. But Jesus says the closer you get, the more intense that defection will be. The more frequent men and women will be defecting and departing from the faith. I have long believed that that portion of Scripture is dealing with the professing church. And the reason is because of that word love there. The Greeks had many words to describe love, but there was one word that they chose to define almost exclusively the love that you would find within the church, and that's the word that Jesus used there. He is speaking of the church, and even in 2 Thessalonians 2, in verse 3, Paul says that that day will not come until there be a falling away from the faith. What evidently is going to happen is that the days are going to become so dangerous, they're going to become so violent, and persecution is going to become so intense that many professing Christians are going to be offended. And why are they going to be offended? Because they never dreamed it was going to happen like this. They never prepared themselves for what was ahead. And they're offended because they feel like God has abandoned them. So they'll begin to betray one another, hate one another. And in this vacuum, there'll be false prophets that are going to rise up and they're going to give a soothing message to men and women. It'll be a compromised gospel that promises them peace when there is no peace. And men and women will be drawn after that message. And because lawlessness will abound, he says, the love of many will grow cold. 
Lawlessness is just removing all restraint. It's not being submitted to authority. It's not being submitted to the Word of God. It is not living by any rules. It's just the idea, I'm going to live my life the way that I want to live. And that's exactly what Paul saw coming in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when he says the days are coming when they will no longer endure sound doctrine, but after their lusts, they're going to begin to heap to themselves teachers who will tell them exactly what they want to hear. And they'll remove themselves from the truth and they'll begin to give heed to fables and myths. And we're seeing that even in the day that we live right now. Where men and women do not want anyone to tell them how they are to live, how they are to conduct themselves. I get to decide that. Just give me a gospel that promises me heaven when I live like hell. That's what we're seeing today. Folks, only those who endure to the end are going to be saved. No matter how difficult it becomes, folks, you stay submitted to the Word of God. Love Jesus. Come to church. Minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to men and women. Don't give up under any circumstance. In Jesus' mighty name. Yes, amen. Give the Lord praise. And then number six. I told you I was going to go through this quickly. Some of you didn't think I could. Okay. Declaration. Declaration, and I love this one. Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. I love that. Now, there is going to be a declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which means that as all of these other things increase with intensity and frequency, so also the gospel is going to grow with intensity and frequency in the last days. Did you notice that the end didn't come in persecution? The end didn't come with disasters. The end didn't come with nations rising against nations. The end does not come until this gospel goes to the ends of the earth. Doesn't that sound like our God? God says, no way, no matter how bad it gets on this planet, the end is not going to come until my gospel, my good news is ministered to the four corners of the earth because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance in Jesus' mighty name. How many of you are glad for that? How many of you are glad God has the final say? Of it all in Jesus' name. I remember what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. I love that. Paul said, yes, I am in prison right now as I write these things for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm suffering like an evildoer. But even though I am chained, the gospel is not chained. You cannot stop the word of the living God. I'm going to tell you, you can take away our rights. You can put us in prison. You can beat us. You can martyr us. But I will tell you, we're coming back stronger because you cannot stop the word of the living God it will be heard to the ends of the earth and then and only then will the end come in Jesus name now these are the signs that he said are pointing to the fact that you're living in those days and you need to be prepared but as I close this out and Josh you can come with Will I just want to remind you of what he said right at the very beginning of this he said take heed 
that no one deceives you. What Jesus was making very clear is, listen, the times are going to become so difficult. They're going to become so hard. They're going to become so grievous. The cost is going to become so great in the last days that the hearts of men and women are going to be ripe for deception. And they're going to look for anyone that can give them peace without ever having to give up their rights. And that's why many are going to be deceived. Because they're going to look for an empty message promising much but delivering nothing at all. I was reminded the other day of the Old Testament prophets that had to carry these strong words of judgment to Judah and to Israel. And they were hated in those days. Isaiah was hated so much that historians tell us Isaiah was put into a hollowed out log and sawn in two. They were hated because of the message that they brought. Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah chapter 5 verses 30 and 31 an astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land the prophets prophesy falsely the priests rule by their own power and my people love to have it so but what will you do in the end he says they love the false prophets who prophesy peace when there is no peace And they love the corrupt priesthood that blesses them when their lives are not to be blessed at all. They love it because it alleviates the fear of any judgment coming. But he says, what are you going to do in the end when all of these things happen, but you've listened to a gospel that did not prepare you for the day's end? Folks, listen. As I thought about that, I thought, how many men and women today are embracing a false message that produces false hope within their heart. And they may love to have it that way, but what are they going to do in the end when they're not prepared for the days that lie ahead? I'm reminded of what Paul said to Timothy as the scourge of Roman persecution began to bear down upon the city of Ephesus where Timothy was actually pastoring the church. And many that were in the church were abandoning Timothy and the faith altogether, going after strange doctrines. And even Timothy himself was greatly intimidated. That's why 2 Timothy actually begins with these words. God has not given us the spirit of fear, the spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. He was encouraging Timothy, don't give up. Listen to what he says to him in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12. Yes. And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Wow. Listen, folks. Paul speaks to us now, 2,000 years later, later, and he says, if you desire to live an uncompromised, godly life in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. 
if you have determined that you are going to lift high the standard of God's word, you will suffer persecution. And the amazing thing is, is that while you suffer persecution, evil men and those posing as believers are going to grow worse and worse. They're going to continue to deceive. They themselves will be deceived. It'll be one great deception. And in your persecution, you're going to be tempted to say, why is God abandoning me? I'm standing for what is right and I'm suffering. They stand for deception and they prosper. And that's why he said, you must continue. You must endure in the things which you have learned. The Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through Jesus Christ our Savior. Folks, no matter how difficult it is, stand fast in the Word of God. Do not be shaken. You'll experience it sadly from your family, from friends, from co-workers. There may be a day in this country when you even experience suffering from the government. I don't know how it is going to shake out in the United States. But all I can tell you is, be ready. Stand fast in the Word of God and be assured that those who build their lives upon His Word, the storms will come, but when they're over, we'll still be standing in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Give God the praise here this morning for that. Would you stand with me? Father, we thank you for our time together and Lord, maybe it felt a little bit rushed, but Lord, today I pray that you would help us to take these things which we have heard and apply them to our lives the whole day.